Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. I got good news for you. There's a new king. And he's defeated sin, death, and hell itself. And he reigns over all things. And when his kingdom shows up, it's not just words, there's power in it. And I want to ask Jesus to bring his kingdom to bear in this room today. And I believe that he's going to. Uh, And I don't know what that'll look like, but I want to talk about the kingdom of God today. I want to talk about this thing that if you've been reading the reading plan in Luke, you'll hear this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom of God. I was never taught that gospel. I was taught the gospel, but no one ever looked at me and be like, did you ever hear the gospel of the kingdom? I'm like, no. So here's what I know about the kingdom of God. You have this kingdom, which is the kingdom of earth. You all live here. Hello, earthlings. This is where we are. And we all understand on some level that there is a kingdom of heaven. That's where God is. When Jesus shows up on the earth, you have what theologians call the already and the not yet. Anyone ever heard that phrase? So picture, here's in one hand, here is the kingdom of earth. It's where we live, it's where we struggle, it's where we, you know, we're born, live, and die, and then the kingdom of heaven where none of those things happen. Where there is no sickness, there are no tears because he wipes them away, there's no death. And when Jesus shows up, because he's the king, he brings the rule of the kingdom of God to bear on earth. And so when you're reading Luke, not Luke, you're reading Luke, you're seeing what the kingdom of God is like. And he starts declaring, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a woman who's kneading yeast into dough and it saturates the whole thing. And as I read Luke this week, I really just was like, I feel like God just wants to talk about the kingdom of God and how we might have a small picture of it. But what I've learned is that I long, I want the real thing. Like I want the kingdom of God and all its power to pour out on you today and save you if you're a sinner. To extradite any demonic power in you, in this room. To heal you if you're broken. And I'm asking for it and I'm knocking for it. And the thing about already and not yet is, so we see it sometimes, don't we? I have prayed for people and watched them get well. I've prayed for men and watched them give their sin to Jesus and him a place that is righteousness. I've watched people get born again in front of me. I've watched the kingdom of God manifest, which just means when I say manifest, you could touch it. It's real. It's right like in this room. And then there's moments, and we call those the not yet. So there will be a day and King Jesus will rip open the sky and he'll make everything new. And there will be no more sickness or death or war or famine and all things, all things will know that there really is a king. All things will know. Every blade of grass, every man or woman on the planet. And it's those moments uh, that the not yet kicks me that I want to talk about. Um, And they're here, and I want to honor them. Uh, But I urged you last week, I was like, can we just put aside this idea of praying for comfort and just pray for healing for a little girl named Nariah? And so on Wednesday night, Nariah passed away. And I felt two things immediately overtake me, joy and grief. Um, And I feel them now. And so I want to talk about that just for a second, and then I want to pray for this family. They're actually here. 
Uh, first service they weren't, so it was easier not to cry. Uh, so I'll just not look at them. Uh, but we as a family are a family. So we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. But there's two things that I'd like to say and then I'd like to pray for them in our time together and then we'll talk about the kingdom. Uh, number one is that Neriah is fully healed right now. And through a couple dreams and even her parents' own words, Neriah's dancing with Jesus. So I, I was like, God, healer, healer, healer. And he did. He didn't do it the way I wanted, but if you did things the way I wanted, this would be a weird place. But he healed her and she's dancing and she's with Jesus. So there's, you feel that joy? That's real. That's a hope. We have that hope. It's eternal and death doesn't dis diminish it. And then there's also the, the grief part. So Jesus would go to Lazarus' tomb knowing that he was dead and he would weep. But then he was going to bring him back to life. He was called the man of sorrows. So joy and grief can actually coincide in the Christian faith. There are things to be sad about. I will still contend that five-year-old little girl should not die of cancer. But I also know this. I started praying after I got that news that Satan would not be allowed to use that news to keep us from praying healing. So I don't know already and not yet. I don't know why it wasn't now or what I wanted. But I refuse to not to stop asking for him. Because the kingdom of God is whew, real. It's not just words, it's power. And when the kingdom of God shows up, because Jesus shows up, people get healed, demons flee, sinners get saved. And so what I'd like to do, uh, we all kind of agreed last week, hey, we'll, we'll fight for healing, but now we're, gonna, we're just going to weep and grieve for them. So if you're around them, I, they, they, I told them I wasn't going to make a big deal about them, but I changed my mind. And I think they're okay. So if my grandparents, you want to turn around, and, and man, if you're around them, if you're in the back, don't go around them. Um, so Jesus, we just lift up this family because when one of the part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And we just join around them and we stand with them as brothers and sisters. And I ask, Lord, for the comfort of God, the peace of God. And I testify that I've already seen it on them. I've heard with their own lips the testimony that Jesus is good. So I pray the goodness of God would cling to them. I pray for Rachel as a mom. <laughs> uh, mothers should not have to bury their kids. And I thank you that there's a hope that goes past this moment to heaven and to the king of heaven. And I pray that she would grieve, but also laugh and remember well. I thank you for a woman of God, and I bless her in your name. Pray for Randall, God, in the depths of his heart right now that he would lean into you like John at the lower table. That you'd lean back against you and feel your heartbeat. I thank you that you love Neriah more than he does. And I just shelter this family with prayer. We stand around them and we say bless them, comfort them. And I thank you that in life or death, you are good and you're the king, Jesus. Hide them in your arms, in the shadow of your wings. In Jesus' name. Now that I see Celia and Susan, grandma and sister, I bless them, Lord, that that whole family would know your presence and your power and that the hope that they profess would go so deep they would shout it from the mountaintops. And I know they do. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thanks for letting us pray for you. The already and the not yet, it frustrates me. Can I be honest? Because <laughs> if I'd say, I'd be like, all of it right now. You know what I mean? And so the kingdom of God is a theme of Jesus' ministry. Did you know that? The kingdom of God. And as I was reading the reading plan the last couple weeks, I kept hitting these moments where Jesus would say things about the kingdom of God. And I'm like, I confess, I don't know that much about the kingdom of God. I was taught the gospel, but not the gospel of the kingdom. And you're like, is there a difference? There might be. Let me prove it to you. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, I'll give you a little context. You can go there if you have a Bible. Jesus is actually casting a demon out of a mute kid. And when he casts the demon out, the kid can speak. And what happens is the Pharisees start to accuse the Son of God, the incarnate one, the one God in flesh, God put on flesh. They start to look at him and go, you're casting out demons by Beelzebul, by, like, by Satan, which is a really stupid thing to say to the Son of God. And he begins to say, well, if I cast out demons by Satan's power, then his house is divided because I'm ruining his work and by his, that would make no sense. You can't do that. And he says, one of, I believe, one of the more profound things that I just, it, it haunted me all week. In Luke 11, verse 20, he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in one statement, I went, Jesus, I want that. I want you to put your finger on every person in this church and that the kingdom of God would come to bear. And I don't control what it looks like. I don't know if it'll be healing or deliverance or salvation, but Jesus says if, and so Jesus' hands are the hands of God, are they not? So if Jesus touches you, that's the finger of God. And when Jesus touches you, the finger of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God is what he says comes to bear. So a little earlier when we said, hey, are you weary? And Kristen came up and prayed. I felt like that's what God wanted to do because he wants to put his finger on your weariness, on your pain, on your brokenness and bring the kingdom of God to bear. That's the kingdom. That's what the kingdom does. But it was a foreign concept to me. So if we were to go to Taco Bell, let's go to El Burrito Loco. Let's change it up. Get a couple street tacos. No sour cream. One chicken, one steak, one pork. Thank you. And I was just say, what's, what is the kingdom of God? What would you say? What's the kingdom of God? Explain it to me. Is it now or not yet? Can I ask for it? I was told to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, I'm doing King James, but your kingdom come. What does that mean? And it was so like paramount to Jesus's ministry that like in Matthew 24, 14, it tells us, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So you want to know when Jesus comes back? I don't have a date, and so don't get nervous. But it will be when this gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to every last tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what the Bible says. So we better figure out what we're proclaiming. What's the gospel of the kingdom? And that's the follow-up. What is the kingdom of God? What does it entail? Who brings it? Can we ask for it? And when it shows up, would we know? And then what is this gospel of the kingdom? My whole life, 
I've been indoctrinated with gospel language. Gospel-centered, gospel church, gospel, gospel, gospel. And I think I understand what that means, do you? So I just wanna talk about the kingdom of God because if Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom, we should know what it is. So let's just take a little walk through the Bible. In Matthew 9, 35, you hear this summary statement of Jesus. And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching. Hmm, interesting statement there. The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity. And so here's my plea today. It's not that you have some ecstatic experience or you get healed or you believe everything I'm saying. It's let the Bible form your theology. Let the Bible tell you how to live. Let the Bible tell you what the kingdom of God is. Let the Bible tell you if healing's possible. Let the Bible dictate not just your faith life, but your active living life. So if Jesus' ministry was, literally went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, you don't even just, that's a summary of what Jesus preached. In Mark 1, you see the same thing again, Mark 1 and 14. Now after John was arrested, this is John the Baptist, uh, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So not the same words, but very similar vibe, yeah? And when we read the Bible, engage your head. Ask questions. So when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, what time? What is he talking about? Is there a clock up there? Were we waiting? What were we waiting for? Are we Jewish? We don't know. So the time is important when you read the Bible. What time is being fulfilled? And the, what does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. You can touch it. It'll hit you. It'll change. If you interact with the kingdom of God, it'll change the kingdom of earth. So we got to get to the bottom of this. It's been irking me. Because I'm like, they didn't tell me about the gospel of the kingdom in the seminary. They must have skipped that part. So I want to get to the bottom of it. And we'll get to the bottom of it, I think, with that question. What time is fulfilled? And to do that, we're going to go in the Old Testament just for a moment. And then we'll go right back to Luke. Um, what, was the, what were the Old Testament saints longing for? Like, what were they looking to show up? What's this time thing? And what does that say about the nature of the kingdom of God. And so in the Old Testament, uh, they had a very clear idea, firstly, that there was a God on a throne and he ruled over everything. You find it everywhere. And I could go all through the Old Testament, you'd find statements like Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where God is, he, there is the throne. And it's established in the heavens, not where, not where men are and not where we are, but above. And then his kingdom rules over all. What's God not rule over? Nothing. All means all. I know English teachers get mad at me. All means everything, all dim, nothing outside of the realm of God's throne. Same thing with Psalm 145. Thy kingdom, I'm going King James on you. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. So the kingdom of God goes on and on and on and on and on forever into eternity. It will not end. You cannot tear it down. It's not cornered by four walls and a door. Now on top of that, his dominion, which means his right to assert authority and claim to the earth, 
is forever. This is the start of the answer of what were they longing for? So when Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, the Jews had this idea that God had promised the Messiah over and over and over. And the Messiah must mean Savior. That God was going to come and send one who would not be more of a far off help, but one that would come and remove their sin and their iniquity. That would come and heal their diseases, right their wrongs, get rid of their captors, and then establish a throne that was much more immediate, you could touch it, and personal. And then Jesus shows up, right? And Jesus shows up claiming that the kingdom of God is now here, at hand. You can see it, you can touch it, and so every time you read Jesus stooping down and healing someone, the kingdom of God is at hand. Blessing little kids, the kingdom of God is at hand. Blessing and touching lepers and leprosy falls off of them, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what you'll notice is that even the prophets tell about this. Zechariah 14. The Lord will become king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one in his name, one. He will be the one and the only king from the day that Jesus comes and goes, new king in town. And that's the nature of the gospel. It's way bigger than I think we've ever given it credit for. The, the prophets understood that the Lord will become king. I thought he was king. No, this king will come to this kingdom, kingdom of earth, and establish his kingship. Isaiah 24 says, Then the moon will be confounded, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and before his elders he will manifest his glory. Almost every prophet at some point in time prophesies, declares, sees from God, and says out loud, there's going to be a day where there'll be a physical person on a physical throne, and he will rule and show you the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is hand, I believe he's saying God is about to exert his rule in a new way. God is about to show you, not from heaven that he rules, but right up in humanity's face, of how he rules over sin and sickness and death and everything that plagues us. He's about to establish his kingly authority. Kings get to tell people what to do, right? So if King Jesus shows up in the room, this room and is like, dance! Guess what we're doing? I guess we're dancing. But really, if this king, this Jesus, this heavenly king of heaven and earth showed up in this room right now, we'd want to get as low as possible. We would establish his kingship really quickly. Because he showed up to bring, he wants to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on the kingdom of earth so that the kingdom of God explodes. Even John the Baptist uh, confirms this when he says in Matthew 3, 2, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God wants to break into the world. Now what I think has happened and the reason that we've lowered it is because we don't quite understand the word evangelism or, or what it means when we say the gospel. So to get that understanding, you kind of have to go back to kind of first century to Roman mindsets to when there's new emperors installed, what would happen? And so we all kind of understand that when emperors would conquer a new city, they'd obviously send the Roman legion and they would conquer a people, destroy the barbarians. But what you don't understand is after that moment, what would happen? 
is it wasn't just let's just subjugate them. It was transform their whole society with Roman culture, Roman education, Roman roads, Roman thought, Roman politics, all of it. So what would happen is they'd send the army. The army would do the very Roman thing because they were the best around. They would, they'd win. After that, though, they would send an apostle. You know what the word apostle means. Sent one. And he would go to that city, stand in the middle of it, and you know what he would declare? The gospel of Caesar. And you know what he'd say? There's a new king over you. And he's going to bring education and roads and everything that Roman brings. Do you accept this king? King Jesus shows up on the earth and he does none of that. None of that. But he gets his, like the video said, he gets his crown with thorns. He gets his throne on the cross. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, we now have hope to belong to his kingdom. And that's bigger than anything I could tell you. Uh, better than country clubs and vacations. We have now been adopted into the kingdom of his beloved son transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so if we don't understand that, we'll live small. And so the time has come for God to break into this world as never before. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is that king. And so the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus is God's, he's going to show off God's kingly power and authority, break into the, into the world like never before and deliver us from sin death, its consequences, and empower us to build his kingdom. So what does that bring? When Jesus shows up, when Jesus brings the kingdom, what does it bring? I want to tell you that I was taught one thing that Jesus brings. One thing that Jesus alone brings, and it's true, but it'd be like, if I told you the one thing you get if I'm your dad is that you get an allowance, you'd be like, yeah, that's great, what else? So the very first thing that Jesus brings is forgiveness of sins. And it is the miracle. It is the thing we should celebrate. It is the thing that is scandalous to behold. That the God of heaven and earth would come down and die for me and then give me right standing with him. Righteousness, holiness, make a way that I get to come in. You don't understand because we don't think in Jewish mindsets. You didn't mess around with God. God was there and the people were here. The tabernacle and temple declare, you don't go come close to God. If you come close to God, you die. Jesus comes and he dies in our place and then goes, you can come in now. So the forgiveness of sin is a lot. That's, 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 you, you, you can't come to God without coming to Jesus because Jesus is the only thing that will get rid of your sin. We learned about this last week, Luke 7. Jesus looks at the sinful woman from the street. She's a prostitute. And everyone would assume if a prostitute shows up, that's in a, a sin category we can all agree is pretty bad. So therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looks into the eyes of someone who we would be like, she's pretty bad and goes, your sins are off of you. And some of you, you are desperately trying to get your guilt and your shame and your sin off of you by every other means other than Jesus. 
But Jesus' step one is, do you want to see the kingdom of God? Then you have to be born again. So there's a Pharisee who comes to Jesus at night in John 3. His name's Nicodemus. He says, I'm just having a conversation talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus, being an intellectual man, says, well, do I have to go back in my mom's womb? I don't want to do that. It sounds gross. But he said, I agree. No, he's like, no, moron. I got to do something spiritual by the spirit of God to make what's broken in your heart, in your soul, new. To not, not even just like make you clean, because you don't understand, all the, all the rituals of the Old Testament, you know what they were trying to do? Get the sin off of them. I, I for one, am very thankful. I'm not up here with a flint knife and a bull. Are you? Like as you walked in, I was like, what sin did you do this week? Well, that's a dove for you. You know, like when you walked in, you're like, oh, you, you murdered somebody. We should get a couple heifers. You know, like, like there'd just be blood. I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us like no other thing can. Jesus takes sin as far as the east is from the west. It's gone from me. So the forgiveness of sin is definitely a part of the kingdom of God. So if you want the kingdom, you've got to come to Jesus, and King Jesus will take your sin. But what I've learned is that's like one-eighth of the kingdom of God. That's how you get in. But then there's like this whole other part of it that's like, as a Pentecostal dance for my Pentecostal friend. So it's, that's all I was ever told. That's all I was ever told. Every theology lesson, every seminary professor, God forgives sin. And it's a big deal. But can I tell you what also when Jesus shows up, when, if we can agree that when Jesus shows up and it says the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's showing us what it looks like. So he's proclaiming it and then doing it. Then not only does Jesus forgive sins because he's doing it left and right, but Jesus also liberates the captives. Everywhere he goes, and this could be uh, physically they're captive by a disease. This could be they're spiritually captive by thoughts, by demons. You'll see this in Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, let's just time out right there. Jesus is teaching where the Jews gather to read the Torah, to read the Bible, the Old Testament at least. And he sees a woman, he's standing in the crowd and he sees a woman. And I love to picture the Bible when I read it. And all we get is she's bent over and couldn't fully straighten up. So I don't know if that's like this or like, I don't know if she's got a cane, but don't tame the Bible. He's sitting in a very sterile religious environment and he stops and he looks at a woman. That's the picture. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. So don't lose this on her. She's probably, if she's an old lady, been over like that for 18 years. He calls her. I have to think that took a few minutes. Coming, Jesus. You know, like, I love Jesus, man. Jesus could care less about what's going on in the room and looks at the woman broken by 
by apparently a disabling spirit. And I don't want to make a whole theology right now, but if Jesus is like, the reason you're bent over is because there's demonic presence on your life, maybe we should think more biblically. And he looks at her and he says, you are freed from your disability. That word freed is the word liberated. Because I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually has a job description. Did you know that? I've read it to you a lot because it's, it's challenging me that my job description should be what my boss's job description is, and my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Amen, 1990s Christian kids? You ever have that bumper sticker? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus tells us what his mission is. He tells us at the beginning of his ministry what he's going to do and then what we're caught up in. And he goes in Luke 4, and he goes into a synagogue, he opens up a scroll, I think purposefully and deliberately, maybe with a little smile. And reads Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the, the, the year of the Lord's favor. That's how I'd read that. This is fulfilled in you hearing it. What's he saying? He's saying everything that you just heard out of Isaiah's scroll, I'm bringing to the earth right now in front of you. And then he heals and restores blind eyes and he sits with the poor and the broken and the sinners and proclaims their sins are forgiven. And he comes and he liberates the captives and the demons flee when he shows up in rooms and they screech. And I want to see the power of God on your life. Because if you stop with, well, he just forgave my sins, but I'll deal with addiction the rest of my life. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. That's just a part of it. He forgives sins. He washes them off, but he liberates captives. I have met addicts that have been addicts for so long and then they meet Jesus and they're not addicted anymore. I have met people demonically possessed and Jesus rips those things out and washes them clean. This is the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's bigger than just let me absolve my moral guilt so that I can get to heaven one day. It's I am forgiven, I am liberated, and then I have been given the overcome, I have the ability to overcome the power of sin. You're like, what? Is that different than forgiveness of sin? Oh, it is. So not only does Jesus come in and give me the, like, forgive me of my sin, wash them clean, seize me as righteous, he gives me power from on high to resist that thing. Romans 6. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. Now, we don't call ourselves this, and we don't like the word slaves, but it's in the Bible. You were chained and tied to a master called sin. Before I knew Jesus, I, I had to obey. I, didn't, I wouldn't have said it like that. I was just led around by my desires and my impulses and my fleshly things, just willy-nilly. If it came in my head, we're going. I meet Jesus, and he breaks my chains, cuts me off from my old master, and then keep reading. And you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching in which you permit, were committed. Verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So I've heard 
this teaching my whole life, like I agree though, that you might struggle the rest of your life. But I see this thing coming over the body of Christ where they go, well, it's just in my nature to punch things when I'm angry. It's just in my nature to look at porn. It's just in my nature. Jesus gives new nature. Jesus breaks the power of sin. Jesus gives us new longings and affections. And if you've come into the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, it's not normal to want those things. You shouldn't want those things. Now, will you stumble into them every once in a while? Yeah, I, I think nobody in here is perfect. Anybody? Please raise your hand. We got one. Cool. One perfectly sanctified person. Everybody else? Hot mess? But we need to realize that he didn't just forgive us and he didn't just liberate us and he isn't still doing those things, but he gave us the power of God to say, Satan, shut your mouth. Sin, not today. I'm going to walk as a righteous son or daughter. And that all comes by the last thing. And you'll think, oh, there goes Andrew again. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Not only does he free us from our sins and liberate us and give us the power to overcome sin, he empowers us by the very spirit of God. The gospel of the kingdom is Jesus looks at his disciples and says, it's better that I go away. Now, I don't know about you. I'd really like it if Jesus was right here. Like, there's days I long. I'm like, I just want to be with you. And he said, it's better that I have his spirit in here. Luke 3 says, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we could probably get in a fight with that, but I'll let you let the Bible decide for you what that means. But I do think it means that Jesus has promised that he's not going to leave his people alone. He's going to fill them with the very Spirit of God, which is God, just so you know, which is God himself. The kingdom of God is a, an adoption a baptism, a dunking, an identity, a union with God himself. And as longer I looked at this, I believe the reason that I was taught the way I was taught, that it's just forgiveness of sins, is because they cut off the last one where I was taught. They cut off the Holy Spirit. So all that God does is forgive sins. No, God forgives sins, 100%. But God also takes those that are in captivity and liberates them physically if they need healing. Demonic things can't stand when Jesus is around. Jesus also gives his people the power to break sin, to ruin their old masters. And Jesus does that by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know where you are on that topic. You want the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 I think actually not eight, it's four, it talks about the Holy Spirit pouring the love of the Father into our hearts. So don't make this weird. This is, I want the Holy Spirit to tell me God's love. Pour it on my heart. I want the Holy Spirit to tell me what to do. So the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God isn't just one thing, it is the transformation of all things. The kingdom of heaven invading the kingdom of earth. Now, I could do a whole other sermon right now of what that looks like practically, but I think I started where I did on purpose, the already and the not yet. I think already we can expect some of this. We'll see it. 
if we'll ask for it. I think sometimes I'll be like, well, it's not yet. But what I'd like to do, I think, actually, uh, I'm looking because I don't want music and I don't want it to be emotional. I'm going to invite the kingdom of God to come. I think that's what I'll do. And if you'll go with me, great. And if you're like, I'm not doing anything, I didn't ask you to do anything. I'm not going to come smack you in the forehead. I'm not going to demand you show me a physical sign. I'm going to ask God, Jesus Christ, to come make his rule and authority and his kingdom really real in this room. And maybe, maybe that's, you have sin, Jesus is going to come to you and be like, give, me, give it to me. Confess your sin, repent of that, and I'll give you righteousness. That could happen. Maybe you are like, captive by thoughts, captive by addiction. Maybe there is demonic stuff in somebody in this room. And I just want, let's just ask, can we ask that prayer? Lord, may your kingdom come. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.